Hello and welcome to the political party. Today's guest is Mari Black, deputy leader of the SNP in Westminster and of course someone who set the political world alight with her election in 2015 when she was just 20 years old and her maiden speech in Parliament. And before we come on to that, just to let you know, I can now announce who all my guests at the Edinburgh Festival are going to be and um, what the dates will be. So obviously I'm taking my new stand-up show to the Edinburgh Festival, Inside Number 10, which is uh, obviously... Clever play on words on the uh, TV show Inside Number Nine um, with a political slant, um, which is at the Pleasant Courtyard every day from the 2nd to the 27th of August at 8 pm. Uh, and I'm also doing three political parties there. And the dates and guests are as follows On the 8th of August, I'm joined by the new First Minister of Scotland and leader of the SNP, Humza Youssef. It's the first time uh, I've interviewed Humza in front of an audience on the show, uh, and obviously the first time I've had him on since to become First Minister. And with everything going on, that will be uh, obviously a, a fascinating uh, time to interview him. On the 18th of August, I'm interviewing Angela Rayner, the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party. Obviously, Angela was on uh, the show a couple of years ago, and he's always amazing fun. That will be... Uh, an outrageous afternoon in the company of one of our most charismatic politicians. And on the 21st of August, my guest is Kate Forbes, who only narrowly came second in the uh, SNP leadership race and, of course, offered um, an alternative view of what the SNP could be uh, in many ways. So, again, uh, three completely different personalities with really interesting perspectives and obviously big names um, um, in our politics. You know, three phenomenal guests. So Hamza Youssef on the 8th of August, Angela Rayner on the 18th of August and Kate Forbes on the 21st of August. Uh, if you go to matford.com slash live, you can get tickets for all those. And then uh, in the autumn, we're back at the Duchess Theatre. The first show back on the 18th of September is with an incredible individual, Dan Jarvis, former paratrooper, served in Iraq and Afghanistan, now a Labour MP and a Labour mayor. Obviously, someone who was for a while and still is touted as a future Labour leader. Um, he has led a remarkable life. And if you've read his book, you will know Um I can't wait for that. And then on the 2nd of October, to, you know, I, I love keeping it fresh and having different people from different backgrounds and different lives. I'm delighted to be joined by the lead singer of the Sleaford Mods, who obviously, as a Nottingham boy, I love them. I love them anyway. Their new uh, album, UK Grim, is hilarious. Uh, Jason Williamson, who... Uh, the Sleaford Mods are brilliant anyway, but they have just such urgent, passionate, funny, satirical lyrics... Um, so that will be uh, a treat as well. So five amazing guests coming up in the next few weeks, as well as, of course, uh, the stand-up show at the Edinburgh Festival. And Spitting Image the Musical is still on at the Phoenix Theatre until the end of August. And thank you to all of you who've uh, tweeted me and emailed me to say how much you love the show. It is absolutely crackers, as you would imagine. Um, and seeing it live is a unique experience. So obviously, uh, being so involved in it, I would obviously recommend it. Anyway, on to today's guest, Mari Black. And the first thing to know is this was recorded uh, on Monday night in between votes for the illegal migration bill. So uh, they were obviously voting throughout the night. Uh, Mari came over to the theatre in between votes. Um, so there was this was a little bit shorter than usual. Um, it's still a decent... Uh, amount of time that we got with Mari, but but not the usual uh, length of time. Um, so I'm obviously trying to cover the ground slightly quicker um, than than usual. Um, but it's incredible that someone elected at 20 is already preparing to leave Parliament at 28. And why is that? And obviously, there's a lot of talk around the culture at Westminster, and it's something that uh, Mari feels very strongly about. But we also explore other reasons why that might be, and the changing fortunes of the SNP, and uh, particularly certain individuals within it, and what that means for the wider independence movement and the future of Scotland. We talk about all that. Um, but also just being a human being in politics and what your priorities for your own life are. Um, also, just what it was like to get elected at 20, to beat Douglas Alexander, who, of course, was one of the biggest beasts that Scottish Labour had. Um, and we talk about all those things and um, and more, including uh, her love of video games. So without further ado, um, my guest, Mari Black, and as always uh, at the Duchess Theatre, a bit of stand-up about the fortnight in politics. A, uh, an incredible fortnight in British politics, including the revelation that former Boris, uh, former Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson, uh, who had promised to hand over his phone to the COVID inquiry, can't remember the password uh, to get into the phone, which uh, it's just another lie. We all know what his password. I mean, his password is probably the easiest one to guess 
in the history of passwords. Well, look, it's uh, 8008135. Uh, hold it upside down. Yeah, boobies. Yeah. I mean, here's WhatsApp, so I think they're going to be really disappointing. They'll get into them and go, you just sent the aubergine emoji. 3,000 times a day, is that it? Yeah, you know what it means, right? Um, I mean, it will just be... All, I bet all his banter will just be... The, all his WhatsApps will just be, like, get PPE done. Yes, let's get the vaccine done. Yes, let's get dinner done. I mean, I, he would just speak in that catchphrase for the rest of his life. I genuinely think, on his deathbed, whoever is there with him in the final moments will have to report back and say... I mean, his final words were just, just three words. I bet, I bet you can guess them. Oh, what was it? Get death done? Uh, no, delete browsing history. Um, <laughs> Of course, his, uh, one of his successors, Rishi Sunak, has announced this week that public sector staff will get a pay rise of between 5 and 7%, otherwise known as 6%. Um, <laughs> but he also said... Uh, he stood next to his five promises, of course, while he's doing this. He's got uh, his five promises permanently written behind him. The top one is half inflation. And during the press conference, uh, a journalist says, um, you're stood next to your own sign that says half inflation. Um, can you let us know specifically what that means? Is it 5%? Is it 5.2%? 5.3? 5.5? Rishi Sunak literally laughs in his face. He goes, Look, people know the rate of inflation when I became Prime Minister. Look, do I think people are sat at home uh, obsessing over whether it's 5.2, 5.3, 5. Uh, I don't actually. Uh, I think that they just want to know that the government is committed to dealing with the cost of living crisis. I'm obsessing over it, mate. <laughs> Tell me what I am and I'm not sessing about. It's absolutely... And also, you're stood next to a sign that you wrote. Don't let's try and... Imagine it with one of those golf sale things. I don't think people do want to know where the golf sale is, actually. <laughs> I love reading opinion polls, particularly when they ask... It's focus groups. When they ask uh, voters to categorise politicians in a particular way. You may have seen in the Times this week, a focus group was asked to say, if Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer were animals, what sort of animals would they be? And there were some brilliant answers. Um, quite a few people apparently said that Keir Starmer was like a cat, which I could sort of... He's kind of got a purring way. Oh, meow. <laughs> You can sort of imagine him. I think he suits a cat. Well, so if he's a cat and Sunak is a mouse, then they're basically Tom and Jerry. And Lindsay Hoyle would be the woman in the kitchen who's... Order! Order! Tom, stop trying to hit that mouse with a mallet. OK. Hey, I'm dealing with this. I don't need the opinions of Tweety Bar, thank you very much. <laughs> Sylvester can keep his mouth shut. All right. Um, they also said... Someone else uh, said that Keir Tom was like a whale... Um, <laughs> I can sort of see, he kind of, he has a kind of, uh... <laughs> but he, uh, he also, a, a woman called Charlotte said, actually, I think Keir Starmer is like a horse uh, because he's trying to be strong, but he's just galloping around everywhere. <laughs> now, even though she's ended with an insult, I'm going to tell you this now, no male politician's ever going to object to being likened to a horse. <laughs> hey, Keir, we've got the focus group back. They said you like a horse. Great. Do you want to hear why? No, I'll take the win. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. What an amazing, warm, spontaneously warm crowd. Thank you so much. Well, we had a quicker interval uh, than we expected because Mary is in the building and what an absolute thrill tonight's guest is to have on the political party. Someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time and have finally been able to convince her to come on the show. Her maiden speech in 2015 uh, is probably the, one of the most famous maiden speeches in the history of Parliament. An articulate, impassioned uh, defence of her values and her beliefs and since then she has continued to be one of the SNP's biggest and I would have said rising stars but just the other week she announced that she'll be leaving Parliament at the next election. She is one of the brightest stars in Scottish and British politics. Please welcome Mary Black! Hi, folks. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Get your glass of water. Oh, it's bright. So you've legged it here tonight. Thank you so much. Yes, um, yes. From voting on the illegal migration bill in Parliament. Yep, a cheery topic. <laughs> and, and what is the latest? This is the um, Rwanda yep. policy. Yep, so the Lords' amendments have come back, so the Lords have 
kind of tried to make the bill slightly better and we're just chucking it all out, basically, <laughs> over the course of the last three hours. And on a night like this, when you're finding through the voting lobbies of Parliament, mm-hmm. trying to stop a government deporting people to Rwanda, do you ever think that you might miss Westminster? <laughs> <laughs> I'll miss the prices in Westminster, I have to say, but no, not so much, not so much. And is there anything, I always, I always ask this of SNP guests, is there anything about the place that you actually do like? Are there sort of, have you made good friends? Are there parts of it that are fun? Genuinely, the staff in the place, particularly the doorkeepers, I don't know if you've seen the doorkeepers or the, the ones with the white bow ties and the tailcoats and everything. They're, they're essentially really fancy, well-dressed jannies in the place. And they're great crack. <laughs> um, but other than that, no, no, I can't wait to get out of the place. But it just seems, you know, in 2015, you really set the world alight. You, you beat Douglas Alexander, who's a massive star. It was in that... Landsl- I mean, really, 2015, the story of that wasn't just David Cameron going from a coalition to an outright majority. Mm. It was the collapse of Labour in Scotland and the, the mega rise of the SNP, and you embodied that more than anyone else. I mean, just thinking back to being at that count, mm-hmm. before the moment that the returning officer says, yeah. before you take the stage, here are the results. During that campaign, did you think, I'm going to beat, I'm going to win this seat? See, it's funny, because when I went... Well, initially, my thought was, don't be stupid, I'm 20, I can't be the candidate. And there was too many people were coming up to me and saying, nah, I think you should put your hat in the ring and see how far you get. <laughs> um, and I, I got pretty far. But the, there was, I always took the point of, you know, I, it wasn't a decision I made lightly because I thought, no, you have to be sincere about what you want to offer people. Um, and then I remember the... Lord Ashcroft poll, I think it was, came out, and it projected us to win, and that was the first moment I went, oh, shit, this, this might actually happen. Uh, and then it, then it did. It was actually on, <laughs> on the election night, because I, I was advised not to go to the count um, until like they were just about to declare, because it was a media frenzy and things. So my family, my dad was my election agent, and he went into it was the lagoon in Paisley, was where it was. And I sat at home and I was like, I am not watching anything political. So I just shoved on E4 and I think it was Big Bang Theory or something that was on. <laughs> sat watching that and I kept practising my losing speech because I thought, I am going to sound sarcastic when I say this. And I really had to try to sound sincere. And then I got there and my dad had been telling me all night, oh, it's really close, it's really close. Ah, just keep your head on. And I got there, and they take you behind a, a curtain before the bit you see on the telly, so that in case you faint or anything, uh, it's not too embarrassing. So we're behind this uh, curtain, and it was actually the first time I'd come face-to-face with Douglas Alexander, the whole campaign. So I stood there, and as the woman's opening the envelope, about to tell us the results, my dad just leaned into me and went, I've been lying to you all night, you're thousands ahead. <laughs> and I was like... Dad, I've only been practising my losing speech, oh jeez. <laughs> so when I did that uh, uh, winning speech, that was the first time I'd read it, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, Douglas Alexander, you know, this was a guy who was one of the titans of Labour at a UK level and at a yeah. Scottish level. I mean, how did he take it? He was actually very gracious. You know, I, I can't fault... I, I mean, I don't know him. Like I say, that was the... The only time that I was, you know, in the same room as him. But, no, he was very polite, you know, I can't fault him. And I, I did, considering as well that, I suppose, in the Westminster world, it will have been very bruising to be beaten by a 20-year-old, mouthy woman who's gay, you know, and SNP. That's ticking a lot of boxes that annoy a lot of people. <laughs> so, no, I, I can't fault him. He was very gracious. So you're 20 when you get elected to part of it. It's just incredible, really. Yeah. At what age did you start getting political? I mean, I've always liked arguing. <laughs> so <laughs> I suppose that's where it all really began. <laughs> uh, I mean, in our house, it was always political without us really knowing it was political at the time. Like, it, it always amazed me the first time I heard the phrase, oh, you don't speak about politics and religion. Because I was like, what do you talk about? <laughs> like, that's all we talk about in my house. Um, and, and then particularly once the independence referendum, that was the catalyst for really getting involved, you know, and myself and my dad, we were knocking on doors, 
five, six nights a week for about two years, just continually then doing town hall meetings and stuff. So there was a lot of natural politicisation, if that makes sense. Um, and then, of course, we lost the referendum. Absolutely gutted. But once I had a few days to mourn, <laughs> essentially, uh, it was just a case of, right, we're not going back in our box. Let's... And we were quite fortunate that the election was about six months out from the referendum. So there was still a bit of momentum and stuff. And that's what we've seen play out in 2015, I think. And was it always... Obviously, the referendum then gives you a, a sort of binary choice. Before then, do you think... You know, were you ever a socialist? Is there a world in which you would have been a, a Labour candidate oh, in a non-referendum era? Absolutely. I mean, like most people in Scotland, particularly the west coast of Scotland, my whole family was Labour. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how socialist is treated almost like a dirty word now, whereas to me, socialism just means you want to use the majority of resources for those that need them most. That's sort of the basis of every, not just political view, but most opinions I hold. Um, so, yeah, no, de definitely, I think we're... It's definitely was ingrained into us growing up that that's what you should be. But as time went on, and particularly looking at Scottish Labour and UK Labour, it started to feel like they're not representing what Labour should represent. And I think actually we're seeing that this week as well with the... the the rape clause stuff with Keir Starmer doing another U-turn, saying I will keep another conservative policy. Well, what's the point if that's all you're going to do? And I think that's ultimately been one of the many nails in sort of particularly Scottish Labour's coffin, I have to but say. Things are now changing now, aren't they? This is the thing, is that mm -hmm. Scottish Labour... I mean, it's amazing how quickly politics has changed in Scotland, all over the UK, just like the, the rate of change. I was saying to you backstage mm -hmm. that the last SNP guest I had on here was Ian Blackford a few months ago, yeah. and I was asking him, you know, how long has Nicola Sturgeon got? He was like, don't you worry, she's going to be around forever now. <laughs> you know, Hums is now the first minister, Stephen Flynn's yep. the leader of the Westminster Group, you're the deputy leader of the Westminster Group. I mean, what, why, why have things been so turbulent in the SNP in the last year, do you think? Well, I mean... It, with the stuff that's been in the newspapers, I genuinely don't have a clue. And actually, that's, that's on reflection one of maybe the constructive criticisms of how the party's functioned before, is that everything has been a very small tent. So the vast majority of people don't know <laughs> what the score is with things. Um, but I also think there's a generational shift happening just now, and it's... It's kind of natural. Uh, I'll give you a facetious example, right? When uh, Stephen and I held our first sort of staff meeting with the comms team and everything, we were in this one of Westminster's old rooms and there's this big, massive wooden table and we had to pull it out to get another chair in. So we all got up and we're like that, moving it, and I shouted, pivot! <laughs> like, <laughs> a friend's reference, right? <laughs> See, had that been five years earlier, nobody would have got it. <laughs> like, they would have just stared at me and went, what are you on about? But because everybody's kind of getting to similar ages and there's a natural turnover almost happening, it was... <laughs> they all understood it. <laughs> so if the SNP group is the cast of Friends, are you and Stephen Flynn, <laughs> Ross and Rachel? Chandler and Joey? No, because I can tell you, me and Stephen never would happen. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Let's not go down that route, actually. <laughs> but that was seen... Your, your ascendancy was seen as... I get, in politics, if you're ambitious, there's always going to be people that say, mm -hmm. well, this is treachery, you know, you, you don't unseat whoever's the leader, but in politics you have the right mm -hmm. to challenge people. Um, as far as transitions of power go, did it, did it feel like it was fairly bloodless or, or was there a bit of acrimony? Well, if you went by newspaper headlines, it was a bloodbath. <laughs> um, but the reality was much, much calmer. <laughs> much calmer. Because, um, I, I mean, particularly in something like politics, I think it, you should constantly be reflecting on am I still the best person to take this forward? And particularly to take ego out of it. And that's been one of my biggest criticisms of particularly Westminster politics, but on the whole, is there's too many people that are only concerned about their ego. That's the first thing that they think of. And, I mean, everybody's got an ego, but it's about keeping it in check, you know. Uh, 
so I, I do I think Stephen came along, had a fresh ideas, fresh approach, and he managed to galvanise the support of the group. So it's that's democratic, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and then thinking about what's happened at Holyrood, uh, I mean, Hums is now the first minister. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you have ever have guessed that Nicola Sturgeon would leave mm-hmm. in the manner that she did and then be embroiled yeah. in, the, in, in this way? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have. <laughs> is the short answer. And 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 have you have you have they are you, now that you're a party you know you have an official um, position within the party are you allowed to use the motorhome? <laughs> I wish. There's a summer break coming up. I mean, it could be quite. <laughs> Finally, I had the contacts, you know. But yeah, no, no, I, I'm not. I'm firmly planting myself in front of my PlayStation, getting out my rage on the game. Grand Theft Auto. That's my plan for the summer. <laughs> so, what computer games do you play? Uh, right now, I am playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and I have. Lost, according to the PlayStation, I have lost 14 hours of my life to it. <laughs> so, and I've still not completed it. <laughs> and, and for those of us that haven't played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh-huh. it sounds quite violent. Yeah, you're an assassin in it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're, you, is it like a multiplayer game? Is that a game where you can play with people on the internet and you can talk through headsets? Eh, I don't know it, actually. I play it myself. Um, okay. If I'm branching out to play with other people, it's Star Wars Battlefield. Okay. That's my go-to, I have to say. That and Red Dead Redemption 2 online. Okay. I've got so, a very prolific business on that. <laughs> I take it very seriously. So they mainly, all these games involve shooting people. Absolutely. And is that, is that something you find cathartic after a day in Westminster? I mean, I, like, I, I try not to think about it, but my wife will tell you I come out in a much better mood than when I initially go in. <laughs> So Star Wars then, because, you know, Red Dem- Dead Redemption sounds cool, Assassin's Creed yep. sounds cool. Star Wars is a bit... How dwe- dare you? Dweeby. Uh, are you, are you, you actually a bit sad? Uh, are you less cool? <laughs> less you, cool than we I, think. If anything, Star Wars is cooler because you aren't limited to one weapon. You can shoot, you can have a lightsaber, you can run away, which is also an option. <laughs> that, that would be my option, I think. Just buy a computer game and pussy out every time. I mean, I didn't say I was good at the game. I just play it. I, I, I liked Sonic. I, I remember playing Grand Theft Auto around at a friend's house once, and it was the one Vice City where you could put the radio on. Yeah. And I would just put the radio on and pootle about, which yeah. I, I don't think was the point of the game. Initially, because my brother's uh, two years older than me, so he got Vice City, and the only way I was allowed to play it was because I convinced my dad that I would play by all the rules. I'd just drive about. <laughs> so any time he came in the room, I'd be in a car and I'd stop at red lights and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the minute he's gone, I'm like, machine guns, going daft. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Rishi Sunak likes Star Wars, so you could... Oh, now you've ruined that. <laughs> yes. You guys could play Star Wars together. <laughs> For all I know, I have played with them before. <laughs> it can get quite heated. Well, it's action figure size, so you could sort of... Dress him up as Darth Vader, move his arms. <laughs> So just just thinking then about what what's happening with, with the Tory party, and I know obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're sort of sworn opponents, but in a mad way, is Rishi Sunak a breath of fresh air after Boris Johnson and Liz Truss? I mean, <laughs> in some ways yes, but in a lot of ways no. Like on the surface, it, at least. Rishi's able to present himself as a human being, <laughs> as opposed to his two predecessors. But the policies are all the same, so it's kind of six and a half a dozen, really. You know, there's not enough change has happened, and you can see that actually. Like that, there are, for all we are sworn enemies, there are some decent conservatives on the benches. It's just they they are not in the majority right now. Um, and that's been the case for at least the last five, six years, um, which is a dangerous place to be because we're now in a situation where we've got a government that doesn't only have no moral compass, but they also seem to have no common sense or basic economic literacy. Um, It's just all about churning out culture war headlines and hoping for the best. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And just thinking about the, those, the leaders that have been... Because obviously you had Cameron May, Boris Johnson, yep. Liz Truss and, and Rishi Sunak in the time that you've been an MP. Yeah. Taking politics out of it, what, what's the sort of Boris time, quite a good time to be in Parliament for like Prime Minister's questions and things? Like purely just for the fun no, no, no. of that? No, genuinely no, because what Boris did was... He, he was our Trump. He took the few parts of Parliament that still had a bit of sanctity about them and just dragged them through the mud. And bit by bit, slowly over the years, because he's been eroding all of this trust, all of sanity, essentially, it's made us all dirtier for it. Um, And so, no, when you're... PMQs is difficult at the, the best of times, but when it's someone who's doesn't just come across, frankly, as a buffoon, but is also very cruel in a lot of what they do. Uh, it's, it's a scary place to be, particularly when you've got all of these gammon faces roaring behind them at the thought of <laughs> deporting children, you know? It's, it's just a, a very sort of barbaric place. Uh, so he definitely lowered the tone of the whole place, and I didn't think that was possible, frankly. <laughs> And then, so out of the five, who did you rate the most? Who was the one that you would, as an opponent, say, actually, they're, they're quite a formidable individual? Um, probably David Cameron, actually. Because Theresa May... <sighs> Since she's stopped being Prime Minister, Theresa May's got better. And I think this quite often happens with politicians, um, where the minute they're not in power suddenly they start saying sensible things. But that pisses me off more, because I'm like, what is the point? You were in the position of power. So it always infuriated me about Theresa May that she just capitulated to the worst aspects of her party. And it didn't do her any good in the long run, um, because, of course, her uh, term was cut short by Boris. Um, So there's that aspect. But also David Cameron was... He managed to cultivate this image of compassionate conservatism, which is a much better place than where we are now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd probably say David Cameron. And somewhere my grandmother is spinning in her grave <laughs> that I've been able to give an answer to that, but I would reluctantly but ca- ca- I'd say Cameron. Cameron's a nice Scottish surname. So it's got a kind of... If you can justify it to your grandma on those, on those grounds, perhaps. Black's not really a Scottish song. <laughs> you know? but, but then... Um, so, you, I mean, you talk about politicians reaching the pinnacle and then going. You're, you've just become yeah. deputy leader of the SNP and now you're saying you're off. I mean, yeah. those things almost seem quite contradictory. You put yourself in a, a, a yeah. leadership position. That... So I genuinely made this decision on election night 2019 (laughs) when I got home. I remember saying to my wife, "Ah, I think this is, presuming it's a full term, I think this will be my my last one. And she quite rightly pointed out, look, you've got snap elections coming out your ears, just hang fire before you announce anything. Um, So I had that in the back of my mind when Stephen approached me, wanting, uh, asking me to be deputy leader. And... uh, I reflected a lot on it and eventually landed on the position, well, if you know you're going, then why not go for it and see what good you can do, particularly if somebody's asking you to do it. Um, and I'm glad I did, because it's, it's been probably the most enjoyable <laughs> uh, part of my entire time being elected. 
but it doesn't change the fact that it's still such a a toxic environment. I can't think of another word for it. It's not just in terms of the type of people that are in the building and the power dynamics in the building, but also just the unsociable nature of it. Uh, like, even tonight, how long have we planned this? Yeah. And yet, up until an hour ago, it was all up in the air <laughs> because I have to vote and walk round corridors for three hours. You know, I need to go back after this to go and walk around another <laughs> corridor. It's archaic. Like, I remember one night where, it was during Brexit, we had, I think it was five hours of voting. And when I say that, you literally just walk round corridors and wait for the division bells to ring for the next vote. And in the same night, the Scottish Parliament had more votes than us and were done in something like four minutes. Because it's all just pressing a button, like any other modern parliament. So, I just, there comes a point where I'm thinking, I love my family too much and... I suppose when I realised that by the time I'm done this term, I will have spent a third of my life in Westminster, which is just minging to me. <laughs> it is not what I signed up <laughs> to do. So I'm just kind of being honest with myself and with others. But is there something else as well? You know, when you first became an MP... There will not be a tent outside my house, I promise. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> is it more? I wasn't going to go in that Sorry. direction. Is it more that... 2015, you become an MP, you're young, you've got that momentum for the referendum. At that point, you probably feel like, well, we've lost that, but it might, we might have another one at some point. Brexit happens, and you think, well, we might have won next year or something. It felt like independence was like the topic of conversation, mm. and it, was, it felt like it was so close. And now it feels like it's not. And the polling suggests it's not, and it feels like a million of things have happened, and, and the position the party's in. Is there a part of you that thinks, actually, I joined this... Mm. Uh, organisation to, to achieve that thing mm-hmm. and you can't really see it happening and you think that, that must sap some energy from you. Well, I, I, see, I, I see the point that you're making but genuinely I, I think independence will happen. I have no doubt about that. It's just a matter of when it happens. And I suppose that, that there is a part where I've always been open about the fact I d- didn't want a career in elected politics. I don't want to spend all my time at Westminster. So I suppose for me it's kind of going, well, if I'm being honest with myself and thinking, "Ah, I don't think I'm best placed to be in that part of the campaign, it doesn't mean I stop campaigning. It just means that I suppose I get more time to campaign uh, in a sense. Um, So no, it's not really, but (laughs) kind (laughs) of, if you see what I mean. And the other thing, though, that is really heartening is that where support for SNP can fluctuate, the support for independence is holding steady. And truthfully, I think there's maybe 15 to 20% of people in Scotland that are undecided and are, they're the ones that will decide the, the future of Scotland. It's just about trying to tap in to where they're at just now because you also have to keep in mind that life has got so much harder for people since 2015. So, in a sense, a lot of people don't have the luxury of being able to sit and contemplate the constitutional future of Scotland. They're just worried about how do I pay my bills? How am I going to feed my child? I can't afford this house anymore. There are no houses, social housing for me to go to. What's going to happen? Um, So, it's an element of sort of, I think, realigning the campaign and sort of targeting those people and trying to get to them to say, look, here's why we support independence. It's because we want to change all these things that are making your life so difficult. And I think that the case is still as strong as ever, if not stronger. It's just a case of conveying it now. I mean, is there a frustration just amongst members, Mm -hmm. staff, you know, MPs, MSPs? Does it feel like, in a way, Nicola Sturgeon was your best shot? She was formidable, she was Mm -hmm. on the brink... And now that she's gone and is discredited, that in a way, <coughs> damn it, our best, our best chance, we've missed our opportunities. Genuinely, no, I, I wouldn't say so, because what really, what hooked me in the referendum, and I think what hooked so many people, is there was a political education happening in Scotland. Like, you could stop anyone on the street in 2014 and say, what are you voting? And they'd know exactly what you were talking about and could give you an informed answer as to why they were voting a certain way. So, in that sense, independence has never been about one person. It's about 
the quality of what you're saying, it's about the arguments you're making. So while there's no doubt about it that Nicola Sturgeon was one of the best performing politicians in Europe, uh, you know, if not the world, actually, um, well, and I, that is a no. I think, you think? Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Nicola Sturgeon struggle in an interview? Um, well, that could be more to do with the fact that she's rarely held to account by interviewers who are fully briefed on her record. Oh, shit! Has been <laughs> no, but, no, but come on. I mean, she, she's. When did you interview her? Well, she's given a fairly easy time. I would have said that is on her terrible. record. That on is her record. Nonsense. You're going to ask Nicola Sturgeon about Absolute independence. Nonsense. That's her polished argument. Uh huh. I, I mean, what is she better than Obama? A performance. I think she's up there, definitely. Absolutely. I have never ever come across Nicola Sturgeon not holding her own. And there's no many politicians can say that. She's definitely formidable. Mm-hmm. But what were her great speeches? What were her great policy outcomes? Well, <laughs> see, you're kind of you're tapping in, though, to why we support independence, though, because where folk will stand up and say, ah, but the NHS in Scotland's struggling, the education's not as good as you said it would be, uh, public transport isn't uh, as reliable as it should be. And that is, that, that could be the case, but it's ignoring the fact that all of those things that I listed are still outperforming every other country within the United Kingdom, and also we're doing it without having any borrowing powers whatsoever. So if you have a situation where Westminster is cutting budgets continually, then it doesn't matter what you have control over, because if you're not in charge of the purse strings, you're limited as to what you can do. So in a sense, I think, Actually, the powers of the Scottish Parliament didn't live up to what I think Nicola could have achieved in an independent Scotland. So I, I, I do I still think she's by far and away one of the best performers that I, I think we've seen in British politics. I mean, with, with those things, it, it, there does seem to be a sense of frustration within the movement from SNP supporters mm-hmm. that actually perhaps we haven't used the powers that we've got. Perhaps we have been obsessed with independence, and I totally get that, but actually, the NHS is fully devolved, so is education. But the purse strings aren't... We could have achieved... You can make different decisions about where you spend the money. So then the conversation has to be with the Scottish public, right, well, what do you want to lose first? Your free prescriptions, tuition fees? Do you want to... Which one of those are you wanting to put on the back burner? Because in actual fact, I don't think you should have to put any of those in the back burner because the idea that we can't afford it is a nonsense and that's the case that we're making in Westminster all the time. This idea that there's no money is just for the... It's for the birds. There is money, it's just that it's being hoarded and it's being hoarded, funnily enough, by a lot of people who happen to be in WhatsApp chats with ministers. Um, So that's what the problem is, definitely. But different political decisions Mm would have perhaps delivered better outcomes. And I take the point about outperforming parts of England, but when the Tories have run public service since 2010, it's mm-hmm. a pretty low bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, aim higher. I know, but th- that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's what I don't quite understand about Sturgeon's record is it actually could have been lots better. It should have been. With the per-head funding mm-hmm. advantage over England anyway, thanks to the Barnett formula, the outcomes should have been far better. Uh, uh, in a way, I'm slightly mystified at how sort of unimpressive the legacy is. See, I would disagree with that. I really would, because fundamentally, again, like, I wouldn't have gone to university if I'd had to be saddled with debts after it. It just wouldn't have been possible. Similarly, I know there's so many people who are in a, the same situation. And I remember when we, we brought in the, the change to tuition fees, the number of folk telling us this is a waste of money, this is terrible, you, you know, it's... You should have to pay your own way to university. Well, I can see, not just in my personal life, but as an MP, I can see the benefit that it's brought to kids who otherwise wouldn't have had a future or wouldn't have had uh, anywhere near the potential that they've managed to achieve now. So I think that is a record to be proud of, particularly when everywhere else in the UK is getting saddled with you know, nine grand debt per year. You know, you, you leave university and you're not done paying it off until you're retired, if you're lucky enough to retire. It's, it's no, nah, I would say the, I'd say, no, nah, she's 
done a better job than any of the down here. So what would you say? What would your advice be to Hamza Yusuf? What would you say? Mm -hmm. Concentrate on these one, two, three things. I think what he's doing is right because right now everything is centred around cost of living, and that's ultimately where. The, the biggest problems are. But again, this kind of all taps back into, well, you can play about with income tax here and there. You can maybe stop tuition fees in Scotland or make people pay for their prescriptions. But why should we have to do that? Scotland hasn't voted Conservative since 1955. And yet, for the vast majority of the time, we've had Conservative governments dictating what money we get, and it, like you just said yourself, because of the Barnett formula, as though we should be grateful, considering that we've been asking for a long time, give us the powers to tailor it to ourselves. Even if you think of, you know, just the changes that have happened with Brexit, not one single local authority in Scotland voted for Brexit, and yet the Scottish economy is now being dragged through the mud because we cannot get the doctors and nurses, we cannot get folk in to cover a lot of the social care jobs. We have fruit and veg that is rotting in fields because we can't get the people to pick them up. Meanwhile, food prices are going through the roof. Everything is backwards. How's the Scottish Parliament going to single-handedly change that? We need to have control or at least influence to be able to tailor things to our own needs. Things you're still so impassioned about it. Yeah. And you're going to leave Parliament. I mean, is there not a sort of like, it feels like just like a burning contradiction that well, you're still as animated as you've ever been and you're going to leave this, the stage? Uh, you'll be grateful to know, Matt, that this is the most listened to I've ever felt. <laughs> I, don't, I, I feel, no, that makes, that fills me with deep sadness. No, that shouldn't be the way it is. I, mean, uh, I, I suppose I'm reminded of the Tony Benn quote, you know, leaving politics to do more politics. Yeah. And there, there's a big element of that because so much of Westminster is just for show. Um, particularly the Chamber, it's just a pantomime, frankly. You know, and even trotting around to do the votes, not only is it impractical, but this idea that folk haven't yet made their minds up what to vote. There's literally people standing at either side of the lobby going, you're in this one, you're in this one. You know, it's, it's just, it's archaic and aye, there's only so much my sanity can take. What some backbench MPs say mm -hmm. is that it may be archaic, but it's the chance they get to be in the lobbies next to ministers or shadow ministers, and actually it's a vital part of the way that the building <coughs> works is to keep the executive close to the, so to the scrutiny body. There's, there's this thing, it's called a phone. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure everybody has one now. <laughs> so like, I remember I was having this... Same conversation with Jacob Rees-Mogg, and he said exactly that. You rub shoulders with the ministers. And I said to him, if I was ever in the same lobby as the ministers, I'm clearly in the wrong lobby. <laughs> so I'm never rubbing shoulders with the prime minister or the chancellor. And equally, I shouldn't have to sidle up to somebody in a lobby. You should be able to send an email, have a phone call with somebody, you know, to see, can we sort this out? Because surely if everybody's there to represent their constituents, then there should be no barriers to that. Uh, and how often do you talk to Jacob Rees-Mogg? Oh, he's, he's given me a body swerve for quite a few years now, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> you know, the, the last time I spoke with him, he, uh, what was it he said to me? You're, you're coming in like a breath of fresh air, blowing away all the cobwebs, while I try rapidly to put them all back up. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty accurate. Because <laughs> so, I got the impression, I remember, around the time, that actually he'd been quite helpful to some newer SNP members of Parliament in that 2015 intake. I don't know if... Um, I, sort of miss, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly not with me, no. OK. I mean, I can't... <clears throat> like, I'd, I had a conversation with him in 2015 because part of me wanted to be like, are you real? Like, is this... <laughs> like, it, it looks... Do, do you get the Beano here? Yes. Right? Of course, yeah. You know, Walter? He's like a grown-up version of Walter. <laughs> and I just could not understand, like... So does like that make you Minnie the, the Minx time. or Dennis the Oh, let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Nasher. That's a great answer. Um... So just thinking about the future then, mm -hmm. um, have you thought about what you're going to do? Like, you, you, you know, the, the Ben quote about leaving Parliament to go into politics, but are you, do, you, do you have any idea what that looks like? No. <laughs> um, like, 
I went home and I was saying to my mum, this is either the best or the worst decision I've ever made because <laughs> I truly have no idea what I'm going to do next. Um, so I, I think I've got maybe about a year to figure it out. <laughs> but no, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I just know... I'm keeping my options open, essentially, because the first thing that I want to do is just breathe for a little bit, you know, a bit of normality. Because actually I felt that during lockdown, after the first lockdown. I remember feeling like, is this what it's like to, you know, go to your own bed every night? I've not had this for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what it'll look like, but... Let me know if you've got any jobs going. <laughs> but you're still... I could do with a comedy writer, actually. I <laughs> saw the first half. Um, but I, I do... I can't, because you're still so young. Yeah. That's, um, you've got a whole life ahead of you. You really can be year. able to not stand for Parliament again or, or for the Scottish Parliament. I mean, like I say, I'm just keeping my options open. I, I don't know what I'm going to end up doing. I just know I can't... The thought of spending another five years in Westminster was making my stomach turn. I could feel my body going, please don't, please God, don't. Um, you know, so I'm, it would be foolish of me not to listen to that. Well, let's take some quick audience questions before we have to let Mary get back to the, uh, uh, the, the parliament that you're about to leave. Get back to the parliament <laughs> you want to leave. Uh, yes, and I have to repeat the questions for the benefit of the tape. Forgive me. Great question. Do you ever use Scottish words that people in Westminster don't understand? Yes. Um, so I never realised that people don't understand what chapping is. Like even tonight, I oh, like said, "Knock the door." I said, "Knocking doors." <laughs> Folk were just like, what? "Chapping? What the hell?" Um, oh, what was the other one that I used? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> said that a lot. Yes. Uh, oh, it will come to me. For the, there's some words like "glake it" and things. Oh, what's that mean? Uh, it just means you're. Empty-headed. You know, <laughs> there's, there's just something all right. You're pretty like it. Um, I didn't realise Egypt is a fairly Scottish oh, yeah. slash Irish word. Yeah, I always thought it was Irish. Yeah. Uh, what about um, sleek it? Is a Scottish. Sleek it. Yes. That's another. See, there's loads of words that don't even come to my mind as being Scottish words. It's just when I say them in conversation, I sometimes see faces going, "What?" I think my favourite is, and, I, and I, it, I guess it's a Scottish version of an English word, but ball bag. Oh, Bobag, yeah. So good. Scunnard. Oh, Scunnard's great. Scunnard. That's because uh, I used that to describe how I was feeling, and I could see the journalist going, and if you had to use any other words to describe <laughs> that, what would you. We know Latin, but not Scottish. Um, okay, a couple quick more questions, and we'll have to let Mary get back to the illegal migration. But if you, you could indicate clearly. Yes. Were you taken aback uh, taken back by the reactions you made in speech? Yes, entirely. Um, even just the reaction to me being elected, because <laughs> I suppose naively in my head, I thought oh, nobody will really care that much because it's about what you're saying and arguing rather than who you are. And then I came down to London and, oh, my God. Like, I remember going, getting the underground one of the days and, you know, where it's jam-packed and it's the wee side door... So I'm standing, holding on to the bar, and there's a guy standing facing me, and he's reading the Metro, and right down one of the pages is a giant picture of me, and I'm just facing him, like, <laughs> don't look up, don't look up. And thankfully, he didn't look up, but the whole thing was just bizarre. Like, I, I remember somebody coming into my office and saying, you're trending number two in Nigeria. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's mental. Um, but after about the first week, I think it was my brother said to me, I'm sick of the sight of your face. <laughs> I can't wait till, you're, till it dies down. Oh, man. So in my office, it's called that bloody speech <laughs> because it's, we, we got so much stuff about it. But it, it must have felt like, I mean, it was fame. I mean, it, it, weeks before when you're yeah. campaigning that election, you must never have been able to sort of comprehend the... the... Yeah, no, it was, de- it was a hell of a, a lifestyle change, definitely. Like, it, it sounds daft, but I had to and sometimes still do, have to add on, like, 40 minutes to my journey just because I have to stop and talk to folk because I was getting stopped so often that I was missing things because I didn't want to be rude and say to folk, you know, I need to head off now. Um, so, yeah, no, there was a lot of weird things happening. And, and obviously, we're in London. Yeah. Um, is there any part of the capital you're going to miss? Or will you, will you still come and visit? 
Um, I quite liked Camden. Camden's good because I used to stay out there. Yeah. Um, and it was great because in 2015, when I first uh, got off the underground, I was I stood out like a sore thumb because I was the only one wearing a suit, <laughs> and all I thought was this will do, this will do. <laughs> I like this. Um, so yeah, no, I, I enjoy Camden. Um, but yeah, no, that's it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, on behalf of the London audience, absolutely none taken. Um, Mari, I know you've got to rush off, so thank you for, no, this, thank you for uh, having us. This has been a sort of uh, a strange evening where um, we sort of thank God we've been able to make it happen. Thank you so much for coming, but please, thank a you. huge thank you to Mari Black. Feel safe, folks. Thank you. Well, there you go, Mari Black, who I would love to get back on to do um, just a bit more time with. Because I mean, as always, do you know what? I could have had three hours with all my guests and always be left wanting to ask more. Um, so, um, but it would th- there was more I would like to talk to Mari about. So, hopefully, I can get her back on in the future. Uh, and my next guest is from the SNP and is the top dog himself, the first minister, the leader of the SNP, Hamza Youssef, and that is on the eighth of August at the Gilded Balloon uh, Debating Hall at the Edinburgh Festival. Then on the 18th of August in the McEwen Hall, the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party, Angela Rayner. And then on the 21st of August, again in the Gilded Balloon Debating Hall, uh, Kate Forbes. And then back at the Duchess Theatre in autumn on the 18th of September with Labour MP, Labour Mayor, paratrooper, all-round action man, Dan Jarvis. Tickets for all those shows are available at mattford.com slash live. If you follow me on Twitter, at Matt Ford, then that's the first place that I will announce guests. I'll just get it straight out there the moment they are, and, and then obviously I'll announce them on here as soon as I can. Uh, but thank you for downloading this. Um, thank you for uh, all the messages you do send me about it. If you'd like to help the show, please do a, f- uh, a five-star written review um, on whatever app you listen, and it helps get the podcast up the chart. Share it far and wide. Tell your family and friends, and uh, I will see you at the Edinburgh Festival um, with my new show, Inside Number 10, and there's three uh, phenomenal political party live events. See you soon. ta